0: Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today by Ian Smith, company's editor. How are you doing Ian?
1: Not too bad, John. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, not too bad. How's the uh, result season treating you? Result season plus uh, the budget has
1: made for a busy week.
0: Yes, indeed. And Bradley, you've been looking after the budget this week. Bradley Gerard, our news editor.
2: Yep. Hi there, John. Yeah, busy day yesterday. We've got lots of uh, content out on the web and hopefully have uh, distilled uh, the most important bits into the mag and in this podcast.
0: Yes, indeed. Well, we were here till quite late last night because the uh, the treasury forgot to publish a key table. Ah, ah. So, uh, which table was that? Basically, it's the tax table we publish in the magazine as part of the uh, the budget coverage, which we publish every year. And uh, they forgot to publish it this year, so we had to pester them. Wait until it was ready. So we got there. We got there in the end. But it was public service
1: one. journalism, John. Uh, absolutely,
0: absolutely. And you know, we did look around to see if anyone else had put this table together, and no, they haven't. So, Investors Chronicle exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we're going to talk about the budget yep. We're going to talk about some of the results this week You've singled out Morrison Among the many results that have been uh, released this week Yeah, there's been Morrison's There's been a fair few financials
1: results of interest as well, L G.
0: And uh, Sainsbury's as well When we talk about Morrison, had a, an update Yeah, had a trading update First um, quarter light for light growth in two years well, Excellent, so we'll talk about that But let's start with the budget
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Obviously, you know, the sort of very important uh, financial event of the year. Um, I mean, there's been, you know, just in the FT alone, I mean, hundreds of column inches written about it. But I guess what was kind of most interesting from our perspective were the things that hit or helped various sectors. So the sugar tax obviously stands out as um, a key thing because a lot of the beverage groups that we now cover are focused actually predominantly or entirely on soft drinks. So Mm -hmm. the fact that they will have to pay a sugar levy, um, from 2018 could be quite bad for them. Obviously, that they have been reformulating some of their um, recipes already. I mean, I think the chance to actually name check Robinsons as a brand that have done quite a lot to reduce sugar.
0: Robinsons being owned by um, Rivik.
2: Yes, um, there is work already being done, and I think a few analysts just think what will happen is well, two things: either the reformulation of recipes will be expedited, or the companies will take a hit. They'll take the tax rise, but probably pass that on to consumers.
0: Right. Is it likely to stop people drinking
2: sugary soft drinks? Well, this is the sort of million-dollar question. I mean, in, in Mexico, it, it had a little effect for a while, but there are a couple of things that people kind of revert to old habits. So after a while, they initially, they get shocked by a, a price rise. They tend to sort of step back a bit. But after a while, they, they want that sugary drink. So they tend to, after a while, on average, go back. And also, I mean, something that's been happening a lot already is that there are companies such as like pure circle which is one that we cover i mean tate and lyle as well i know people think of it as the sugar sort of seller in the supermarket but actually it doesn't don't... really do any sugar anymore no, exactly it? no they're involved in many other types of sweetener so drinks companies will be looking to those groups i suspect or groups like those two that i just named um for alternative versions of sugar yeah, which so they pure... can put into uh, their, their drinks and then maybe rebalance their sales mix
0: so pure circle is this stevia. Pure circle X-trails. stevia,
2: yes, yeah, correct. Yep. Um, and Tate and Lyle, I think, has been working on things like uh, there's one called Allulose they were working on quite recently, um, which they're very proud about. Um, so yeah, all these alternative sugars um, are probably likely to rise in prominence. So they're already becoming pretty well known, and consumers are um, readily looking out for them. But it's uh, likely that you might see more drinks um, launched using such such ingredients. Isn't that the point? It-
1: that you have this move in the budget, but if it's part of a longer term trend, you know, changing the regulatory wind against um, sugar, um, there could be further down the line. So kind of looking at the stocks that will kind of benefit that do alternatives could be a good longer term play.
2: Yeah absolutely and I mean even things like, I think Kerry Group is involved in like reformulation of um, you know it helps companies reformulate the recipes for their various products and I guess as you say I mean the the soft drinks manufacturers are probably feeling a bit got at because there is sugar in other products you know that people eat or drink that lead to obesity so um, there is the potential I suppose in the long term for you know the tax to be extended to other areas of um, the sort of consumption market but yeah as you say the potential for groups that do make alternatives to sugar could could look quite good. That's well it, I mean, it hasn't
0: really come the sugar, the announcement of a, a sugar tax hasn't really come as a surprise to us and we wrote a feature just before Christmas uh, mm. Food Fight I think we called it. Yeah we did. And it was very much about this.
2: Exactly I mean, it's, the direction of travel is not surprising there's been a lot of pressure for a sugar tax although I think there was an element of surprise that the government has actually said it will do this. Um, although you know it has given the companies two years to get their house in order and decide what they 're going to do, so it's not kind of happening straight away but yeah I think it it is an interesting move obviously it's um it's a it's a headline grabber it's a good p r for the government um they're expecting it to raise more than five hundred million pounds in its first year i mean presumably the point of the tax is that it actually won't raise that much money but um we'll see
0: we'll bet it might save money. A long way down the line when the cost of treating the obesity ep- epidemic starts to,
2: to decline. Yeah, and the proceeds are um, said to be going to help um, fund more sports in primary schools. So arguably, you know, tackling the issue at the, at the nib.
0: Well, oh, good stuff. Can't, can't do anything but applaud that.
2: Well, no, this is the thing. It's a difficult to criticise policy, really.
0: No, indeed. Indeed. OK, so what else do we have in the budget? Some interesting um, tax changes.
2: Yeah, there was lots of lots of tax changes. I, I won't sort of go too heavily into those because I don't want to step on the personal finance podcast. Go on, so my, travel all over it. Okay, I'll tread on them a little bit. Obviously, the big one was the lifetime ISA. Um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of debate already in uh, my inbox from various people about the pros and cons of using that as opposed to a you know a pension through your workplace. But you can use them both. You can use them both. Yes, of course you can use them both. There's not an. In, uh, a, sort of restriction against that but obviously with a workplace pension you get the more than likely anyway uh contribution from the employer as well as the tax break whereas with this lifetime isa you just get the government kind of contribution which is something you know something which is you know I'm not knocking it just saying that 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 is a consideration but
0: well, it's pretty generous the terms of this uh this new isa
2: well it's only as generous as the current um tax relief well in terms of percentages. Okay. I mean,
0: it's another stage
1: in the epic, but slightly boring battle for some people between the ISA and the pension. And in some ways, you can see it as the, the pensions industry has been quite intransigent over the years uh, and and pushed back against early access into pensions. So there's been a lot of people saying that what you should do is let younger people take money out of their pension pot to buy a house is what a lot of younger people want to do. Um but the pension industry very much pushed back against that, trying to protect what a pension is. So really, they're just trying to create the kind of pension they want by the back door through creating a, a lifetime ISA that you can put your money in, you can get money out to buy a house, or you can get money out when you're 60. You know, right. it sounds like a pension with early access. So you, you have just another merging of these two kinds of types of retirement or, or types of saving products.
0: But it's just a different type of product. So yeah. presumably, that means that, you know, there is more flexibility depending on what you as a saver want to do. Exactly right. So that's good. Yeah. So we like it.
2: A good I, th- I think yeah there are definitely positives to it. Obviously if you if you take your money out earlier than 60 other than for a house you get charged which is arguably fair enough. Um I think there's a desire to move it towards more like a 401k model like in the US. So Which you, works quite well. Yeah. So you could take money out for another purpose um, and you might have to pay that sort of bonus back that you've been given. But should you put that money that you take out back again years later, then you can recoup the bonus that you had to pay back. So um, there's an element that as it, as it evolves, it could well be a very, very positive and good product. And if nothing else, I suppose, it does make it easy for people to understand because getting tax relief at your marginal rate just confuses some people obviously mm. but if you tell them you put four quid in this you get a quid from the government simple it helps people hopefully get on the savings bandwagon
1: yeah there is something ironic about a government levying an exit charge on something while investigating exit charges in
0: insurance company i
1: mean there's a reason why there's an exit charge there but it's a funny thing for a government to be doing
0: well, I don't think the government can ever be accused of joined up thinking. <laughs> um, yeah, as I said, sounds sounds pretty good. Uh, it's cash only at the moment, as I understand it. Is that right?
2: No, I think it's going to be stocks and shares as well. Oh, it will be stocks and shares? Yeah, you can choose either. Oh, that's good. That's good.
0: Yeah. So there is potentially some kind of encouragement of equity, uh, you know, improving an equity culture in this country as well. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, can't argue with that.
2: No. And uh, beyond that, obviously, the oil and gas sector has helped out an awful lot. they given a few tax breaks. Well, I think they need them. They
0: probably do. Life's not good in the oil and gas sector. I only read just just now that Gulf Keystone Petroleum, which is one of the uh, darlings of the oil and gas sector over the years, is struggling to remain a going concern. Hmm. Shocking. Very stuff. Yeah, it is. There was some good news as well. The insurance premium
1: tax, which has been hammering insurers, didn't rise as much as expected. I think people are thinking it was going to go from 9.5% to 12.5%. But in fact, it just went up to 10%. So you saw the insurance companies uh, benefit there. Uh, we, we reported on Hastings Direct, which is the newly listed insurers' results this week. And they're seeing the premium kind of cycle turn. Premiums are starting to go back up. They managed to push through some rises in um, rates during uh, 2015. Um, so some good news for the insurance companies. And there was something else you
2: saw for the um, uh, travel companies that
1: well, a lack of it actually. Yeah, yeah a lack. Of another good news, something that didn't happen. <laughs>
2: um, well, no, I think depending on your point of view, bad news because um, well, the the main the main um, sort of agitator, I suppose, about air passenger duty, which is a, a levy we all pay on our um, air tickets from the domestic departure point, just being the UK, is, is flyby. So the chief executive there, obviously, his passengers, customers often suffer this tax twice because they often fly domestically whereas a lot of the other budget airlines um, will fly from obviously the UK to a foreign destination so only um, trip over the, the APD uh, levy once. Flyby wanted it kind of reformulated to be a bit fairer but that's not happened so he probably won't be a happy chap but maybe Everyone else who flies, or a, a larger proportion of their flights are overseas, might be less kind of agitated by it.
1: Okay, okay, and uh, capital gains tax
2: was a bit of good yeah. news for our readers, like yeah. that. Can't, <laughs> Can't argue with that. that. Except on property, of course. Except on property.
0: Yeah. So, so I mean, the, but there were worries that buy-to-let landlords um, would be hit again in this budget after a number of changes in recent years but that, that wasn't the case either really no
2: it's been, it's, it's been maintained flat basically so there's a cut in cgt but if it's for a property that cut has been sort of um, there is no counteracted yeah. by a surplus charge so yeah it's flat so arguably uh, an okay outcome a no, no worse
0: off no better off
1: exactly and, and one reaches. savings bank has its results out uh, today and is up strongly but I think the wider thing with buy-to-let is that there has been a toughening of the stance of regulators um, against buy-to-let. Especially when it, I think when it comes to the, the lending, I think we, we will expect to see more forensic look from the Bank of England at you know the kind of lending that's done on buy-to-let. So you know, as a sector, I think policymakers are concerned about the heat in that market. But after April, we'll just have to see how that market settles down.
0: Yeah, well, it's the subject of the cover feature this week. Uh, Rosie Carr and Jonas Crossland had a look. To see how the the, as you say, the tougher new rules around buy to let for private investors uh, can be navigated uh, successfully, and uh, you know, a lot of people have suggested that buy to let was dead as, uh, as a result of recent changes, but we don't we don't think that's the case, and uh, we think there are things that uh, landlords can do to mitigate some of those new rules and, and keep generating returns for buy to let property. And as you say, the uh, the, the, the buy to let lenders business is booming still.
1: Yeah, exactly. They came off face strongly in, in uh, November after the, some of those changes were announced that you're talking about.
0: I think um, I, as, as I was coming down, I th- I'm pretty sure it's One Savings Bank had put out a press release talking about how they're offering to help buy-to-let landlords incorporate. So essentially transition their private individual businesses into limited companies, which yeah. is one way of actually navigating the, uh, the tax situation better.
1: And I think a lot of their um clients are already those kind of landlords right and and you have this with Paragon too um so a lot of them already are, and the the ones that aren't they'll be helping people to make that transition so yeah it, they're already navigating it, and one seconds back have very strong results today, so obviously it's not had. The biggest impact yet, but we'll have to wait and see um after April.
0: Okay, so pretty much a uh, good news all round budget, and I think the expectation was that it would be uh, a nastier one that George would be taking rather than giving.
2: Well, yeah, I think he's um, he's had to sort of there's a bit of politics going on, I guess, with the EU referendum in a few months time. He can't rock the boat too much, and economically, he has kind of um pushed a lot of pain to the back end of the parliament, and he's going to have to hope from a, a budget deficit perspective, that the UK economy starts performing a bit better than it is now? Yeah, I,
1: I think that if you... One kind of note, caution, I suppose, is around larger companies, some of the tax changes to how much of their uh, debt costs they can use to uh, to offset their profits for, um, for the purpose of kind of paying tax. So the tax deductibility was reduced, and which will affect some sectors such as banks where they have quite heavy amounts of debt uh, and also the amount of um, losses that you can carry forward to offset as well. I uh, was reduced and especially for banks too. For me, the budget was a way of, uh, there were some, some of these kind of smaller, I wouldn't say stealth taxes, but kind of side door taxes on larger corporations to help pay for the some of the leniency on business rates say, and so on that was shown to small businesses.
0: That's a corporation tax is going to keep falling over the next few years. So yep. uh, not all bad news for big companies. No, exactly.
1: So that was the, the good thing for big companies was the corporation tax, again, was being brought down. Uh, but the government's going to be making quite a lot of money, I think 4 billion by this tax deductibility change over the course of the parliament and almost three and a half billion on the changes to carried forward losses so it's quite substantial but then spread over the entirety of the uk plc
0: sounds like good business for the big accounting firms to get their teeth into i'm sure they'll find some uh, some tricky ways around it let's uh let's leave the budget behind us let's talk about supermarkets so we had results for morrison how were they
1: yeah, we thought they were quite good. They were, um, Harriet Russell, our um, retail correspondent, uh, covered them. And they have this thing at Morrison's. So they talk about their three-phase recovery plan, fix, um, re- rebuild and grow. And um, the underlying sales, which is the big part of fixing the sales, started to improve towards the second half of last year. And a really good Christmas helped them too. So they are fixing their sales so also uh, saving money as they promised to do so that's going well uh, the shares did go down though on the results I think about 5% which Harriet thinks might have been some profit taking over a recent rally in the shares but it definitely is the management team is doing what it set out to do in terms of restructuring the company so yeah pretty good set of results we thought
0: and what have we got we got them on a hold I take it then
1: we actually, yeah we have them on a hold
0: okay the Sainsbury's now these were really good results
2: it was a trading statement, I think, wasn't it? A Four-year trading statement, and yeah, okay. um, yeah as you say, they they were good. Um, they registered their first flight like quarterly sales growth in two years, which is good for us as a magazine because it was a tip of the year and right. um, the start of the year. So we looks like we're back to the horse potentially at the right time. Um, obviously, tomorrow, as we're speaking now, it's Thursday. Um, we'll find out whether Sainsbury's is successful in its bid for Home Retail Group, so that could add a different dimension to the business as well. Um, which is interesting in the context of this
1: statement, because it talked about the amount of online sales growth that they're seeing. So you can kind of understand why they're trying to get that distribution arm that we've talked about before.
2: Yeah, absolutely. People have raised that question of why why would you want to buy Argos with its kind of mixed, mixed sort of uh, recent history in terms of results? Because obviously Home Retail Group has largely been driven by Homebase, which is now getting sold. But... um yeah, I think as you say that the, the rise in online orders, which is how more and more of us are shopping now via the supermarkets, um, yeah, they they need that distribution power, and Argos does have that with its kind of fairly recently launched same day delivery. So.
0: Oh, interesting. And I mean, the other thing that I I thought was noteworthy in, in Sainsbury's statement was how it's actually starting to achieve this better sales performance, and that's by moving away from some of the the intense promotional activity that's characterised the sector in recent years.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good a good time to do that. I mean, the competition authorities and watchdogs are kind of um, clamping down on this kind of thing anyway. But yeah, as you say, um, Sainsbury's management said actually people aren't as attracted by that anymore. They kind of just want to buy what they want in their way, I guess, and they're happy to just have a cut price on one product rather than. A multiple deal.
1: The money advice service we reported on that, didn't we? Put out a a study about consumer habits, and that they can actually be quite confusing to consumers. These deals, and they're not exactly providing consumers what they actually want.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I guess there's also the whole zeitgeist of people being more aware of waste. You know, they don't want to just buy two because it's cheap, if they're really only going to use one, and then probably throw most of the second one away. And I think all all that kind of plays into this. this general thing that's going on with the retailers. And yeah, Sainsbury's has embraced that. They've, they've gone kind of early in getting rid of these, as you said, like these deals that aren't necessarily always that clear to the consumer. And they're benefiting, I guess, tying into like the whole sugar tax thing, they're benefiting from um, a rise in desire for sort of healthy food. So they actually mention spiralized butternut squash. Which yeah,
0: I don't I don't even know what that is. What do they call
2: it? No, they call it boodles. Which is, boodles? I, I, yeah, I mean... I, <laughs> I've never seen one. Nor have I, but I guess it's like... Butternut squash spaghetti or something? I don't know, but anyway, those... I, yeah, it's noodles. It's, it's butternut squash
1: noodles. B and noodles. You can also get spiralised courgette as well, which yeah, is called courgetti. Yeah, that works better as a portmanteau.
2: It does. I
0: just whatever.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever your view, they're becoming more popular, and uh, Sainsbury's is, um, has benefited partly because of that that trend, anyway, towards those healthy eating uh, desires.
0: Yeah, well, we don't go in the supermarket, so we, I mean, you know, we never see these things. We um, we do all our shopping online, so. We haven't been promoted boodles or courgette yet. Sure, am sure the time will bring them to our attention. Isn't
1: that the problem with internet shopping? You ask for a uh, butternut squash and you end up with boodles.
0: Well, I'm sure when they turn up as a replacement product, we'll eat them. <laughs> <laughs> and then repeat to purchase them. Right, let's talk about supermarkets. Well, i tell you what the result struck me was Fever Tree. Bradley, this is one you covered.
2: Yes, it's a very interesting company. Obviously, it didn't list that long ago. I think it was November 2014, if I remember rightly. The, the growth rate is is just kind of quite remarkable. Um, they're growing pretty well in the UK, which is a saturated market. The US and Europe is going very well for them. And the rest of the world's division, which does cover an awful lot of countries, is certainly having some sort of solid success in Key regions you would argue, like Australia, Canada, that sort of thing.
0: I mean, it's amazing. It's tonic. I mean, it's essentially built a business on tonic, tonic,
2: ginger ale, ginger beer. But yes, mainly tonic. Mainly tonic. But people like gin and tonic. High end. I tonic. like gin and tonic. It's it's a it's a nice tonic. I think what's happened is they've caught the market at just the right time when people are not just ordering a gin and tonic now; they might order a specific gin and tonic. You know, well, there's people... a
1: whole gin revival going on at the moment. We've got the East London Gin Company around the corner from me. Shout ah. out for them. But there's, there's many of these kind of smaller uh, gin operations that are sprouting up.
0: I've managed to get through pretty much a bottle of uh, Adnams gin. Adnams Who the Brewer who also makes gin now yeah that didn't last very long <laughs> <laughs> there you go you see bit of, Hen- bit of Hendrix the week before that yeah it's
2: more than just um, Gordon's or Plymouth now it's- so there are so many more gins and people want a nice tonic to go with it and this is being extended into the supermarkets um, Fever Tree are doing very well there they said that actually they're getting a lot of um end of aisle kind of promotional space which is largely reserved, management said anyway, for much larger brands, so they're quite chuffed with that. They're getting into airport lounges with BA. They're on EasyJet now as well. I mean, so there's just um
0: well domination.
2: Yeah. I mean I've we've I moved them to hold um, largely because it's on about forty times earnings now. I think, or even more by the time we went to press. So, so you yeah. bottled
0: it, Bradley. Well, do you know what? Excuse I, the pun.
2: <laughs> I had a, I had an analyst actually email me uh, tongue in cheek saying that I was capitulated, and maybe he's right. Mark Robinson put it on a buy shortly after it was listed, and um, we had a big discussion about you know whether yeah. to keep it on a buy, didn't we? Exactly. A few months ago, we had that discussion, and um, people had different views, but we, we stuck with the buy, which was the right decision and it was expensive back then at the time um but now it's even more expensive it's on 40 times uh, forward earnings from my recollection and while there are a lot of things to like about the business model it's very sort of um sort of capex light because it outsources a lot of its bottling and manufacturing that sort of stuff you know it, it is a high multiple and i guess while we are still bullish on it to say to a new investor buy now is perhaps a bit of a a harder call, than it was even just a few months ago.
0: I think that's fair enough. I think part of Robbo's initial rationale for for putting this on a buy was that he he saw it as a long term acquisition target. I think he's I think he's still on the money. With that. I
2: think that's probably true. And the analysts that I speak to say in the near term, it's probably unlikely that it needs a bit more um, bedding in as a listed company, um, a bit more understanding where the global kind of uh, footprint of it's going to be. But yes, I think that the long term play would be for it to be. Um, an acquisition target, as you say.
0: Yeah, I must admit, for my gin and tonics, I'm very partial to one of Tesco's own brand tonics. Oh. Uh, it's uh, it's cucumber infused and it's amazing. It costs 45p a bottle. Wow yeah
1: do you, do you not add lime then it's the cucumber no. is the twist
0: Cucumber's the twist man there we go <laughs> they're not even fresh cucumber it's what it's all the cool no, gin no. kids are doing
2: Catch I'm up.
0: Telling you. It's, oh, uh, yeah dear. i'm a bit I traditional I, I went to valencia and i'll tell you what if you've had it yeah. You know, if you if you like a gin and tonic go to spain they love gin tonics out there they are absolutely out of this world anyway i digress ian what else have we got in the results this week
1: legal and general Um, who shares fell quite uh, heavily because they uh, said that the dividend growth was now going to be slower. People have become accustomed with LNG to quite large um, increases in the dividend, but management had uh, talked about uh, reducing the cover. So it's still going to be a a very generous dividend going forward, especially at the current share price after the share price fall. And we think that the asset management operation is still strong. We think there was a lot to like about the business. And so we've kept the faith with LNG they had a bit of a lumpy performance in 2015 because their bulk annuity business, which is these kind of bulk de-risking deals when a company wants to kind of um, get... uh, pass off its pension plan to an insurer in in exchange for a premium. This market is very lumpy, characterised by big kind of one-off deals. Uh, That didn't do so well in 2015, but I think you have to take the longer view of that kind of business. Uh, But yeah, we had LNG. We also had Old Mutual, some news there, with Old Mutual being um, broken up into its four constituent parts,
0: um, which is
1: quite big news for the financial services industry.
0: Which could release some value. Which I think could be a conglomerate be, yeah. discount being applied to that. Yeah,
1: that's what the analysts believe. There's a, there's a group discount at the moment. Really, the management said we are not getting the synergies in this business for the costs of running this um, multi jurisdictional uh, company. So, yeah, you have the Ned Bank, which is a South African bank. You have the emerging markets operation. Um, you've got the kind of American focused asset manager, and you've got old mutual wealth. There could be further equity market a- activity for parts of the business. So, it, it, we're not sure yet exactly uh, how the chips will fall in terms of what will be there on the London uh, market for private investors to get involved with. But there's definitely the potential for some kind of group discount. I'm going to be looking at that, actually, in an upcoming piece.
0: Okay. Got to send a big shout-out to Finsby Food, who sent us a... Uh, half a supermarket's worth of goodies.
2: Yeah, I think we're, I think we're sitting all in a bit of a sugar rush, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I, if there yeah. was a sugar levy it's in like... our
0: office, there'd be a lot of money being made. But honestly, <laughs> I've never seen so much cake and, <laughs> and various <laughs> bread items as well.
2: Yeah, I say the, 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 the burger brioche buns. I think, I they're, think they're still they're...
0: there. Did you? <laughs> Oh, it can't, can't be a nice brioche bun with uh, burger, which I'll have at the weekend. Thank you very much for your food. Were the results any good?
2: They were, actually. Yeah, they made some shrewd acquisitions, which have helped uh, help things along. They're bringing net debt down a little bit. They've got a bit more room in terms of what they could borrow should they want to make a bigger acquisition. Um, but management says at the moment is still focusing really on digesting um, its 2 purchases although it is um in kind of very very early stage talks with some other businesses which could you know help it sort of further get into the um the food service market which we all know as like coffee shops restaurants and that sort of thing what's have you on them they're on a buy
0: buy good uh okay we had some results from the building materials sector ibstock that makes bricks breeding aggregates that makes aggregates and uh, Marshalls, that makes paving slabs and that kind of stuff and they all seem pretty good benefit yeah. from the old building boom
1: there's a lot of building going on you yeah, know the building. budget's only uh, encouraging that
0: yeah so they're all looking pretty good still i think breeding's a long-term buy for us and uh marshall's i think is a buy as well and gym group never heard of it
2: never heard of it well no. it's been around a few years ceo is a former england squash player john trahan a bit like fever tree i suppose it's um has quite exponential growth. Um, in a few years really and um, they've got about 74 outlets now and their model effectively is that they're open 24 hours a day very flexible low-cost membership the average is about 16 pounds a month uh, they said so they are kind of a bit of a disruptive force I suppose to that kind of fixed term contract or even monthly rolling contract I think the gym group you could just join one day and you know leave eight days later or whatever How is it so cheap compared to other gyms? Because it doesn't make any money. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it doesn't. No, it it does. It does make money. Um, I think they're quite shrewd in terms of which properties they seek out. So um, some of the uh, locations are vacated shops. So perhaps the rent's a little bit cheaper there. Rival gym groups who've moved out. um, And they're basically, as they're getting bigger, they're able to kind of... um, improve the prices they pay for contractors to like fit out their new site so it's kind of um it's kind of as they grow their scales getting a bit better as so they're able to control their costs a little bit more um and also it just seems that the the popularity for that model is is high that's kind of how they make how they are making money is that yes the cost of joining is low but they're really um they've really captured the imagination of the gym going public especially um, like shift workers who go at all times a day who couldn't at an ordinary uh, outlet
1: I was going to ask that, you know, is it that people are going
2: before uh, work and people want to go very early? Or, or yeah, precisely that. I mean, they actually say in their results, like a lot of their, obviously, because they, they have a big sort of digital database on their, on their customers. A lot of them are doctors, a lot of them shift workers. So, you know, literally all hours of the day that there could be um, people there. So that that's kind of how they're doing their, uh, well, running their business. And it's so far, it's um, it seems to be working. They're able to grow. Funds that growth quite well. The gyms pay for themselves, the new sites, within about two to two and a half years, providing the target for membership of each one is reached. Okay. So, if you've had too much Finsbury food, you head down to gym group. Yeah, maybe we need yeah. to join them, guys.
0: I think that in my case, that is highly unlikely. <laughs> well, I have black. to take your word for all of this. Uh, I haven't set foot inside a gym for my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Yes, anyway, I do a lot of walking. Anyway, okay, thank you very much. Plenty more results in the magazine this week. quietens down a bit in the week ahead, thank goodness. And then we're going to, I suspect we'll get an AIM pick up very shortly after that.
1: Yeah, and before you know it, it'll be our AIM 100.
0: Yes, absolutely, which is late April. Late April. Good stuff. Okay, thank you Bradley, thank you Ian. What else have we got in the magazine this week? Well, we've got the usual comment from Simon. Chris said the cover feature is buy to let and how to survive the tough new environment there. We have a momentum uh, update from Algie Hall in stock screens and a sector focus uh, written by James Norrison and Harriet Russell, looking at interest rate sensitive sectors. And I wrote
1: uh, my taking stock this week uh, on Anthony Bolton's stock tips. A blast from the past. It's quite good. Yeah,
0: I thought it was good. Uh, you know, very very sensible advice there yeah, from value Anderson investment. Bolton. Absolutely. And talking of value investment, that's something that the Personal Finance and Funds team are looking at this week uh, and whether actually the time is right for for looking at value investing as a strategy. Again, I'm sure they'll talk about that on their podcast tomorrow. Anyway, thank you all very much. Thank you for listening. Pick up the magazine this week, Buy to Let, Make It Pay, How to Survive in a Tough New World for Landlords, £4.70, all good news agents. See you again next week. Bye-bye.